Should we uh, talk about a format for just a sec before we actually start? Oh, shit. Yeah, because I did not plan much for this. I got to be honest. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Real DMC podcast. You have Dave and Colin. I'm Colin. He's Dave. It's the Real DC podcast today. It is the real DC podcast. We're we're trying to mix it up. First we did the the real DMC, then we did the the real uh, MC, and now we're re- doing the real DM. Is that like a dick move? I don't know. But the fact is, the fact is we don't have Marcus today, and and that begs the question: uh, Does that mean that he gets detention now? We could just keep this rolling, like just like John Bender. The question I was going to ask was: Marcus is not here today. Is anybody going to notice? <laughs> Probably not. I can add, um, if you want, I could actually just add Marcus's contribution right now up front. Uh, Mar- Marcus, Marcus, did you watch this movie? No. Perfect. Um, although I, I have to say he was, uh, he was knocking it out of the park on the, the last podcast. Uh, but I, I feel like he, uh, he had uh, the pressure of not you know, letting me speak the whole time and, and not saying anything. So thank you, Marcus. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the, uh, my, my not being there really brought Marcus out. So I think we need to talk about that. Do we have some, do we have some dynamics going on the podcast that I'm unaware of? Is, is Marcus afraid of me? Am I stepping on Marcus too much during the podcast? I think he's intimidated by your, uh, your gigantic intellect. Well, I, I don't know that he'll be intimidated by my uh, love of the movie Wisdom. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> speaking of wisdom, that's what we're here today for. We're, we are doing Dave's detention for the year 1985 because he missed the homework assignment. Um, and, and what was and the because homework of assignment that, for 85, Colin? What was the homework assignment? Yes. I, it's, I, don't even re- I don't even remember what the homework assignment was. No. It was, it was After Hours yes. by Martin Scorsese. And um, Dave, so you missed that. But you did actually end up watching the movie. Um, just any, any thoughts that you wanted to express? Yeah, ultimately, I would say I liked it more than I didn't like it. I was a little bit disappointed just in terms of uh, I saw it had a 7.7 rating on the IMDb, and a lot of people were referring to it as a Scorsese hidden gem. I do not believe that it was quite that. I thought it was very interesting. I thought it was just sort of a, you know, a bizarre experiment. And when you read about you know, how and why this movie got made, a lot of it was because Scorsese was trying to get The Last Temptation of Christ completed and ran into problems, and so he just kind of picked up a script and said, hey, I'll, I'll do this for the, you know, for the most part. So it was not a property he was pursuing before the last Temptation of Christ thing went sideways. And so for me, it's, it was an interesting, I think he viewed it as an experiment in filmmaking, and it kind of comes across uh, during the movie. It's just, the movie is very, very random, and the uh, interactions between people don't really necessarily feel uh, natural throughout it. Um, I do like Griffin Dunn, though. I thought different Griffin Dunn's performance was, was really good. Uh, Linda Fiorentino, I, mean, I like a lot of people who are in the movie. Terry Garr was kind of a bizarre, you know, stuck in the 60s person that showed up. Uh, so I, I ultimately liked it. I watched it once. I don't know that I would watch it again at this point. That, that's, my, uh, that's my overall rating. Okay, because I, I think that pretty well jives with, with what we thought. I mean, I, I liked the movie, but I didn't love it. Uh, and it, I didn't think it was really all that funny. I basically just thought it wasn't all that, but it was it was fine. 
I, th I thought it was fun. The last third is where it really picked up. Like when there's the, the group of roving people out on the street and they're, uh, they're using a Mr. Softy truck as the point of coordination to uh, get the gang together. I thought that was pretty funny. So I like, I like that part of it. And then some of the randomness, thing, I think you guys mentioned, he runs away from the diner and he orders the hamburger and coffee. And then he comes back and the guy just comes over and sets it down in front of him. So there's lots of little, <laughs> there's lots of little few, little subtle things like that throughout it, that throughout the movie that I thought were good. Uh, and it looked great. I mean, I, I, that's the one thing is, you know, Scorsese does a great job of, you know, sort of the personification of New York in all of the scenes. Like you really get a sense that it's a very, uh, yeah, you know, you feel like New York is a character in the movie. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, I liked it. Um, it's not one that, uh, it's it's definitely not creeping up the list of uh, favorite Scorsese films for sure. But I'm glad I saw it, and I'm you know glad I kind of checked the box on it. Good. All right. And what did you think about the homework assignment podcast? Is the real DMC better without Dave? I don't know. Would you like me to retire? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, I am prepared to announce my retirement from the Real DMC podcast. No, 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 no. We can't. We can't let you go. I think the two-person format was kind of fun. You know, easier, easier uh, from a conversational standpoint. Less of us kind of tripping over each other. Uh, you and I are not well, demonstrating that at the moment, but you know. <laughs> well, to be honest, um, when it's the three of us, it's uh, I, I never really hear Marcus, so. Um, I, it's almost like we're always doing a two-person podcast. I think you and I ended up, uh, yeah, I think that's, we, we bring some more, uh, you know, film knowledge or, you know, specific things we point out. And I think Marcus just kind of, you know, glazes over once in a while, <laughs> so, <laughs> especially when he's, especially when he's purchasing vehicles and it distracts him. So see the first part of the 1985 podcast for more information. Well, let's move on to the topic of today's podcast, which is the 1986 film, Wisdom. Emilio Estevez. They told me that when I grew up, I could be whatever I wanted to be. And I believed them. Demi Moore. All across the country, people are living vicariously through us. We've given people hope. Lovers, heroes, wisdom. Written and directed by Emilio Estevez. So Dave, I'm just gonna go and ask you a bunch of questions about this this film, and and because we don't have to do the whole huge homework assignment style. Oh, I, have, of... I have so many thoughts. You know, since you assigned this detention, this movie to me for detention, I feel that it's only appropriate that I give you a three-hour dissertation on this film and really just kind of lock you into your chair for you know and not let you go excellent it's a way to reflect punishment back upon you well i guess we're going to lose our our one listener that we have jamie and andy sorry fellas um okay so who directed and starred in this film so this was an emilio estevez uh it was a it was written and directed by emilio estevez and let me say this he did this when he was 23 and so this was, and so at the time, for somebody who was writing and directing a feature film, he was actually when he did this, it was he was the youngest person in history to make a film of this scale, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Ron Howard apparently tied him, but he was a little bit younger than Ron Howard when he made this. So, uh, what, so I mean, it's um, it, it, at no point, at no point does it veer towards becoming a good movie. It's not a horrible movie. And to me, it's very, it shows lots of, it's, it's sort of pedestrian in, in its direction. And the dialogue is, dialogue's pretty bad. Uh, for Well, well let, let me ask you this then. Yeah. Will Emilio Estevez ever be allowed to write and direct another film? He has done many, actually. I can't believe it. No, seriously, he did Men at Work. <laughs> I, he, 
Okay. He, so, <laughs> so he he wrote and directed that. I know that he directed. I'm not sure if he wrote it, uh, but then he also did a movie called The Way with his dad, Martin Sheen, that came out in 2016 and was actually very highly regarded. Well, all right. I guess that answers the question. Yeah. So he's made more movies than you think. Um, I don't know that he is. Uh, I'd, I'd be curious to see his, you know, I'd be curious to see a couple of his movies back to back to see how he evolved as a director. I don't think that, I mean, I mean wisdom is a, it, it's interesting because I, one of the things that I did, I, I actually went back and did a little bit of research about this movie. And he was in an interview in the year 2000 and he called this a vanity project and he hates this movie. <laughs> So. <laughs> well, I mean, you make a really good point. You know, he's 23 years old. They give him four and a half million dollars to make this film. Yeah. And supposedly there are, uh, you know, uh, there some comparisons to Orson Welles. I think it may have gotten into his head a little bit. Yeah. I mean, the, it's the, the movie is heavily romanticized is how I would describe it. So there are just many scenes of he and um, by the way, is it Demi or Demi more? How do you pronounce her name? Incorrectly. I'm going to go Demi Moore. So. <laughs> Just do whatever you, whatever feels natural. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so lots of shots of there, there's probably, I think that, I think the movie is an hour and I want to say an hour and 49 minutes. Maybe it's an hour and 59 minutes. You could easily cut maybe 30 So, so two hours. Yeah, it's around, it's around two hours. <laughs> it's, it's either a minute or it's 11 minutes short of two hours. So, so a lot of it is them driving around and they look really good so that lots of you know lots of close-ups and time on them together as a couple they're very happy they're out you know they're committing bank robberies but it's a little bit of the it's kind of you know bonnie and clyde the uh, okay so that sort of thing right okay before you you go too far into it yeah uh, let me continue on with the questions sure some of this is going to come out okay so who 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 else was in the film aside from from him demi moore um, and or, then, or Demi Moore. One of the Moors is there. <laughs> there is, there's a Moore. I couldn't help it. There's a Moore. Um, and then uh, aside from that, one thing that I thought was pretty funny was uh, Veronica Cartwright and Tom Skerritt are his parents. So apparently, oh. so apparently the two of them uh, ended up, you know, they were his parents and then they, they jumped on... Uh, was it the Nostromo? No, what's the what's the name of the? Uh... Yeah, the Nostromo. It yeah. is the Nostromo, right? Sometimes I get that in the Sulaco mixed up in my head, but yes. Uh, so Dallas, or so, so uh, was it Lambert and um, Dallas and Lambert from Alien are uh, Emilio Estevez's parents in this movie. So I guess they actually survived. <laughs> they, they survived, and they they must have been they must have gone into cryo freeze for, and then been, and then gone through some retraining because uh, Tom Skerritt's character in the film is an importer. That, that's his job. So apparently, uh, you know, eventually he changes careers and jumps on a spaceship. So, <laughs> all right. Um, give me a, a one sentence summary of this film. Emilio Estevez is a convicted felon who cannot find a job. So he makes a very conscious decision to become a criminal instead. And he dies. All right. Uh, and it's a, it's a, it, it, just like the Saturday Night Live, it's bad idea. It's a, it's a bad idea. A bad idea. Oh boy. Yeah, so he tries right, to become so... he tries to become a Robin Hood esque figure, and uh, but the but the way that he goes about deciding to become a criminal is flat out hilarious. So we can we should talk about that at some point. Okay, um, I think we established your if you liked the movie or not. Wait a minute, I have um, a question for you though. I have to ask yeah. because, because so I listened to the After Hours podcast, and I, you guys were debating at the end what movie to assign me as my detention assignment. 
you guys talked about Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Howard the Duck. And thank you, by the yeah. way, for not choosing Howard the Duck because that would have just been a nightmare. But then you had this mystery <laughs> option as well. How in the hell did this of all the movies end up in anywhere in somebody's consciousness? I'm just so curious because this movie is so forgettable that I can't even imagine that you would have even remembered that it existed. I didn't remember that it existed. And it was, we were going through movies from 1986 and this one just sort of popped out and I was like, wait, what was that about again? And so I, I read the plot on um, Wikipedia and it was sounded so ludicrous <laughs> that I just thought, you have to do this. Well, I did realize that when I started watching it, I had at least seen it once before because I remember. I, I think I've seen it too. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, back when it came out. But you're right, completely for forgettable. Yes. Um, um, so do you like this movie? No, I would not say I like this movie. Um, however, this movie is also not, um, it's not a bad movie in, t in terms of its, uh, well, it is kind of a bad movie. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good movie, um, but it's not a so, it's not a so bad it's good movie, and it's not a so bad it's just freaking terrible. It's just kind of, it's just sort of there. Uh, it, it, it occupies space is how I would describe it. It's just sort of boring. There's not a lot that really happens, and um, the decisions that, the character makes throughout the movie and some of the, it, it, it feels very much, it, it feels like the first screenplay somebody would write. It would, easiest way to think about it, right? So it has lots of uh, cliches, the characters make some pretty odd choices and the dialogue is incredibly stilted and weird at times. John, I think that you need to spend some time by yourself, some time to reevaluate your situation. It's great, it's great, Karen. Now I know what you think. Why is it so difficult for you to see the whole picture? You're so wrapped up in your own little world. Hey, I like it there, all right? It's safe. No surprises. <sighs> Empty. And that's just how it is. Karen, when I was in grade school, they told me that when I grew up, I could be whatever I wanted to be. And I believed them. It feels like a very junior effort, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't come together as a movie where you walk away and go, oh my God, that was horrible. It's more like, meh, that wasn't very good. So at any point, did you want to gouge your eyes out like with Girl on the Train? No, I did not. So, and I would actually rather rewatch this movie than watch, rewatch the Girl on the Train, for sure. Ooh, ouch, all right. Um, how many stars out of five would you give this? Out of five? Um, it's probably sort of a one and a half to two stars out of five, I would say. <laughs> Ooh, that's pretty bad. Okay. Maybe two. I'll go two, actually. I think two. Um, it, you know what's strange is that towards the end of the movie, uh, there's a, there are several sequences of vehicular stunts, and there's some pretty impressive stunts, I have to say. They smash a whole bunch of cars for, you know, so it's not, it comes out of, a, it's slightly unexpected. So there are some elements of the movie that are uh, interesting. And both of the lead actors they they look great right i mean there's worse things than staring at a young demi moore for a couple hours but yeah two out of five is probably what i would go for all right um what did you like about this film anything um it when tom scarrett came on the screen and uh veronica cartwright uh, i it made me think of alien so that that was nice <laughs> Um, so thoughts thoughts of a better movie. Thoughts thoughts of a better movie. The, there are several scenes where they're driving around uh, and the, they they briefly show the landscape in the distance and that was kind of pretty. 
and then just the sort of the general you know absurdity of the whole thing in that respect it's kind of enjoyable because when you're watching him when you when you watch him make some of the stupid decisions he makes in the movie it's uh it's unintentional comedy so i did get some enjoyment out of that all right what did you not like and you can probably just limit this to the major things <laughs> uh let's see what what did i not you know so one thing that's that's interesting is so danny elfman did the score for this movie which, uh, and, and I think it, I'd have to go back and look, but I'd imagine this is one of his earlier scores because there's not a ton of variance in the score music. And so didn't really like the way that they used the score. The score is very sort of aggressively positioned in this movie. I mean, there's probably maybe 15 minutes of, uh, of time across the movie where it's them driving and all you're hearing is the score. And it's just kind of, you know, you're watching them in the car and they're driving along and the score is, you know, pumping. Uh, and it has a little bit of, in fact, at the very end of the movie, the the intro to Home Again by Oingo Boingo comes on. and Oh, that was actually my favorite part of the movie at the very end when the credits start rolling and then Oingo Boingo played. That was my absolute favorite part of the movie. I got the what, was it because it was Oingo Boingo or because the movie was over? It was sort of a joint thing, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think the, uh, mostly because it was Oingo Boingo. Um, so yeah, the score, is, the score is weirdly, is used very weirdly in this film. Uh, so that's, that's one thing I didn't really like about it. The dialogue is pretty bad in terms of the the back and forth when they're talking with each other. There are scenes in the car where they're talking and they're, uh, they're saying, Karen, and then he says the sentence, uh, and then, you know, uh, John, back and forth. And it's just, it's so strange. So he decides to be, so he decides to become a, uh, not, not a bank robber, because initially what he's doing is he's going into banks and he's blowing up the mortgage documentation with the idea that he's trying to free people from, you know, their slavery to the banks. And so he's, a you know, again, kind of a Robin Hood figure. But he enters into that, and he doesn't tell his girlfriend that that's what he's doing. So, at one, so she drives him to the first bank when he's going to go in and rob it, and he doesn't tell her what he's doing. So then he comes out and jumps in the car. So he unwittingly makes her an accomplice. And I think that was a little bit of a dick move. So I didn't really like I was just about to say that's that's a dick move. That's a little bit of a dick move. And then the other thing is it's super predictable. And so if you are... It's kind of the, you know, again, Bonnie and Clyde, Badlands, that sort of, you know, there's a, the romanticized, uh, you know, couple on the run from the law kind of thing. So it's not, there's nothing that jumps out at you in any way as saying that this is original. You know exactly where it's going. Uh, you know exactly how it's going to end maybe 20 minutes into the movie. All right. Well, let me, let me ask you this. What did you think of John Wisdom's motivation for robbing the banks to give to the needy? can certainly on a you know philosophical level appreciate what he was going for um however what i would say is that he comes upon that realization when he's sitting in i think it's a, a bus station and he puts a quarter in uh you know sort of a, a chair that has a built-in tv so it's gonna give him 20 minutes of tv time or something and he's just flipping the channels and he stumbles across a conversation about what's going on in terms of banks and foreclosures in relation to the farm industry and that's his moment of inspiration to become a criminal. He has no genuine passion in this space. He's not affected by what's going on. He just needs to, he is looking to choose a criminal path for the sake of actually making a choice, not because he has any real genuine passion. So I think the whole, um, his whole motivation is just sort of horseshit in terms of trying to like, you know, <laughs> just, he just basically picks something. In fact, there is a, the, it's my favorite scene in the movie where he decides, and it's because he can't get a job, and so he's going to become a uh, he's going to become a criminal. And then he's walking around, and he's sort of wistfully thinking, 
wow, what kind of criminal can I be? And some of the things he rattles off in his head is robbery. And then there's a scene where he's standing and he's watching a bunch of kids on a field and he says, hmm, kidnapping. It's like, I guess I could be a kidnapper. I decided I was going to become exactly what the world had expected me to become. Something our society had left me no choice but to become. A criminal. I only had one small problem. I was a criminal without a crime. Robbery. A good payoff with a sound three-minute investment. But you gotta be into the money to make it worth your while. Kidnapping was a possibility. But being stuck with some screaming kid for days on end can be trying for even the most hardened criminal. The idea of arson was interesting, but unless I actually owned the building that I torched, I didn't see what could be gained. Then there's murder. No way. I just didn't have the stomach to kill anybody. And I'm thinking, well, that's just sort of disturbing. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. he's looking at a bunch of kids and, and what jumps to his head is, hey, maybe I could be a kidnapper. So he's going for kidnapping, I guess, the literal definition or the, you know, what would be the literal definition. And then he um, and then he thinks about murder briefly. He's like, well, I could be a murderer. And then he says, oh, no, I don't have the stomach for that. So it's literally some dude who's just walking along and it's like, you know, hey, I want to be a criminal. What kind of criminal do I want to be? Uh, so that's not true, genuine motivation in my mind, not justifiable motivation. Yeah, seems seems a bit thin. What did you think of the ending? I thought the ending was relatively cheeseball. I thought it was super predictable. It was the standard go out in a blaze of glory, death by cop kind of situation. And of course, there's a what I do like about the ending is so he's at a school and there's a couple things I I guess to mention. So he's at a school and before he's going to go out and confront the law enforcement officers because they have him boxed in pretty good. He's standing next to a garbage can and he sees a half-eaten sandwich in the garbage can. And so he reaches down and he grabs the sandwich out of the garbage can. And so he just starts eating the sandwich, which I thought was a strange plot device. So, so he's eating trash. He's eating trash. So he decides to eat trash. And, but what he's doing is he's also dumping his bullets and he takes the magazine out of the Uzi that he has. Oh, by the way, he's able to purchase an Uzi over the counter very casually in the movie at one point. So I don't know if we want to talk about that. Does, but. does this take place in Texas or Florida? I think it's California, actually, is where it starts. Yeah, I think, I'm pretty sure they're in California. But apparently you can buy a used Uzi over the uh, counter. Oh, well, as long as it's used. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, maybe that does. I mean, I, I recall in the Terminator that he was able to buy an Uzi 9mm. Hey, pal, just what you see. Just what you see. Plasma rifle in the 30-watt range. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what was your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> what, 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 did you, what did you think of the ending? Oh, the ending, yeah. Okay, so... So, of course, he, you know, he is not armed at that point, and that's the point that they're making, right, is because he never wanted to really hurt anybody or kill anybody, but he feels that he has no way out, and so he stands up uh, you know, and dramatically makes a move like he's going to go for his gun, which is, of course, not loaded, and then gets cut down in a hail of bullets, and the main FBI guy comes over and says, you know, you gave me no choice, and Emilio Estevez says, you didn't give me any choice either, and then he dies. You didn't leave me any choice. You didn't leave me one either.
and what, I think that what they what he was going for was the the message around the fact that because he was a convicted felon and he was boxed in and he couldn't get his life back on track, that he had no choice but to become a criminal. I don't know it's the most effective statement when it comes to, uh, you know, say, <laughs> reform in the, uh, <laughs> in the judicial system, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't think it landed. And what happens after that? What happens after that? It cuts to him back in a bathtub and there is a brief segment where he is still doing a voiceover. So it either means that he is doing a voiceover from heaven, <laughs> or uh, it means that he imagined the entire thing while laying in his bathtub. So there's a slight bit of ambiguity there. Bingo. <laughs> you, th you think he imagined the whole thing? It was all, yeah, it was all a daydream. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a very uh, detailed It's a total cop-out cop cop -out ending. Yeah, so they have the, that's the one thing, the, they use the voiceover, he uses the voiceover as a, you know, mechanism through the movie, you know, to, I was going to say, to uh, varying degrees of failure, is how I would describe it. Um, I don't know that it adds much, and uh, I was confused at the very end in terms of if they really thought that it was supposed to be a big dream sequence or if it was uh, an actual adventure. Because the, the imagery that they use when he's in the bathtub at the end is how the movie starts as well. So that's, it, it. There's a wrapper there in terms of it's consistent, and but since they're showing you the exact same images, the thought is that yes, it either all happened in his head or uh, he's he's just flashing back maybe to his time in the bathtub as he's dying. That could be another way that you could I guess uh, interpret it. Sort of like uh, Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, a little bit, little bit of a Jacob's Ladder thing. Although Jacob's Ladder is a good movie. <laughs> eh, I'm not a big fan. Really. Yeah. You know, uh, just a trivia note, that was the very first date movie that I went to with my wife. And she, and she, she agreed to a second date? I was going to say, let me tell you, that is not, you know, just a recommendation for you kids out there when you're going for your very first date. Uh, Jacob's Ladder, maybe not the best choice. <laughs> so, especially <laughs> maybe a they, nice rom-com. Yeah, yeah it's like, oh. there's, a, there's a sequence of, of you know, like there's like, like that demon rape sequence when, you know, the, yeah. the, uh, I forget the woman's name who's dancing on the floor. Um, yeah, not a great first date film. But she married <laughs> right, me, well, so what are you going to do? Back to wisdom um, and, yeah, and also I, marriage. Anyway, uh, I have to say one thing. So wisdom, his name is wisdom. He is not very wise. So well, I, okay. I wonder if that is like, you know, so is, is the idea that it's, is, is the title ironic? I'm just not sure. So a couple thoughts on that. Um, number one, um, yeah, wisdom is not one of the 1,000 most common last names in the U.S. Thoughts? Uh, then, of course, he was reaching for something, and, and there was intended to be some meaning around that. I believe that the, what the character demonstrates throughout the film is a lack of wisdom. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, let, let, me, let me just feed you this little nugget and see what you think. Did you know that Emilio Estevez's inspiration for the film was that he thought the word wisdom would be a cool title? Yeah, that, that feels about that feels about <laughs> par with the end result. <laughs> again, he was twenty three. I got my title. I got I got to make him. But here's the thing. Again, I'll, I'm going to give the dude credit because you know to write and direct a movie when you're twenty three. I didn't do that when I was twenty three. So you know, I will. Uh, I'll give him some props there. I just think that it shows. Um, and there was, by the way, I forget. I was when I was reading about this, the studio actually insisted they brought in somebody to work with him. Uh, blanking on the guy's name, but he ended up getting an executive producer credit out of it because they, they were a little nervous about uh, handing Emilio Estevez four and a half million dollars or whatever it was 
and they wanted to make sure that so he was helped a little bit it didn't yeah. necessarily show so he he did have experience um he wrote a screenplay before this he wrote the screenplay for that was then this is now which he also starred in uh but that was also based on the novel by se hinton so i think when emilio was like well i'm gonna write an original screenplay probably it's best not to start with the title first and go from there maybe maybe think of a good idea first yeah i mean that's a that's a bold strategy and uh <laughs> definitely and, a bold strategy and it's probably one that has been used to affect many times in, when you make a <laughs> when you make a good movie so, <laughs> so demi moore who was uh, Emilio Estevez's fiance during the filming of this of this movie, broke up with him after due to the well, I'm not going to say due to the poor reception, but after the poor reception of this film, she uh, she broke up with him. Justified? I don't know that this movie is. I, I'm guessing that there was probably there were some other elements involved, and it was not just this particular film. Yeah, I don't know that it's a um, this. It's not a. <laughs> This is not a movie you make with your fiance and then walk away and say, we crushed it, man. <laughs> <laughs> we're, like, we're, this is, we're life partners, man. Let's just make these movies over and over again. No, I didn't really get that hit, actually. This is not a, this is not a Hope and Crosby situation. <laughs> Let me say that. You don't walk away thinking that, uh, yeah, it was. So I'm not sure if it was the, the primary cause of the breakup, but it was perhaps borderline justified, is what I would say. Was it instead uh, Saint Elmo's Fire that did it? Well, you know that's that's the one thing I I, I did have to get over my Saint Elmo's, Saint Elmo's Fire, my recent uh, you know the emotional damage I suffered from watching that movie every time I looked at Emilio Estevez. I will say, by the way, I'm a fan of Emilio Estevez. I am. I would consider myself a fan. He made a lot of movies I enjoy. I like watching him on screen. I think he has a very charismatic presence. I enjoy him as an actor. I haven't seen him in I don't know if he, what he's done lately, but I enjoyed him. I should say. I liked him back in the uh, Breakfast Club, Young Guns days for sure. Stakeout too. I, I always, he's, he's I always liked. Out. Yeah, I always liked uh, Men at Work. I thought that was totally underrated. Yeah, and um, and Stakeout. Not another Stakeout, but just Stakeout. Stakeout's great. Yeah, I really like Stakeout. Uh, Richard Dreyfuss and uh, Estevez are actually a really good pairing in that movie. They have very good chemistry. So let's wrap up with uh, some words from Leonard Malton, who considered the film to be quote. Wretchedly scripted with one of the most self-defeating wrap-ups you'll ever see. Valid? Yeah, but I guess as he is the self-defeating wrap-up, I wonder if, what, if he's talking about the bathtub or the... I think he's talking about the bathtub. Cheese ball, death by cop ending, right? Yeah, probably both. It's a twofer. Yeah, there's a lot in this movie that is... Uh, some, there are some weird choices. Right? So one of the things that they do... Uh, so he... When he goes through the se- the sequence where he's I'm going to become a criminal, the next thing he does is he goes to, you know, some sort of a surplus shop and he's buying his large green trench coat that has an American flag stretched across the back, um, and he wears that throughout the movie, which you, you figure after you rob a couple banks and you're wearing a jacket that has a very distinctive American flag across your back, you're probably not going to be just walking around town wearing that thing, <laughs> so just the, just a bunch of you know odd choices. I don't know. Well, I'd be curious to know. Well, anyways. Well, it seems like he didn't do a lot of research into the whole um, I'm going to be a criminal thing. I mean, he, he basically did the minimum. You know, he walked around. Should it be a robber? Should it be a kidnapper? Should it be a murderer? 
Yeah, that, that was it. I mean, you know, you have to, and, and it's good. I guess it's good to evaluate your options. Um, what about white collar crime? Did he did he not ever think of that? No, and, and there is a scene early on where he's, uh, or there, that's how the movie opens. He's trying to get his white collar job. And the whole thrust of the movie is because he, when he was young, you know, he stole a car and crashed it. And then he became a convicted felon because of that. He only got four years probation, but somehow he has a felony on his record. I'm not sure how that works, but his dad... So Tom Skerritt is, uh, he's really disappointed because he wanted his son to be a lawyer or a doctor. Uh, and yeah, so white collar crime could have been in his future if he had simply gone down a, a different path, but nope, didn't pan out this time around. Decided to rob banks instead. Not rob banks, just, th here's the other thing that, that I just thought was really ridiculous. I'm sure at some point there was a situation where banks had all of their financial documentation uh, enclosed in a single building. I would imagine that now, due to the availability of electronic files, I don't think this is a viable crime uh, crime option anymore. You know, and what, yeah. about, what about the documentation that's like backed up with the title company and all this kind of stuff? I mean, does really does blowing up those file cabinets, truthfully, even in that situation in 1986, would it have done anything? I don't think so. I'd imagine there are copies of those records somewhere. I don't think he really thought this through. You, you mean Emilio Estevez or the character of uh, John Wisdom? Yes. Fair enough. So it's a, it's a group answer. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up, would you recommend this film? And if so, why would you do that to that person? And what did they do to you? Uh, I would not recommend this film. I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of a reason why somebody might want to see this. You know, actually, okay. Here's here's where it could potentially be interesting. If you want to see, uh, you know, what happens when you give an inexperienced director full flexibility, you know, a, a decent budget for the time, and you let them write and direct something, and you want to see what the results of that are going to be, I, from that perspective, I guess it's kind of interesting. It's not, I mean, it, it's not a horrible movie. It's not. It's just, uh, it's more sort of meandering and boring and not well thought out and ultimately ridiculous but it's not a horrible movie but not bad no i mean it's kind of you know compa this compared to again if you guys had dropped howard the duck on me and i really had to watch that movie i'm sure i would have just that would have been torturous this was just more sort of boring this is one of those things where if you were if you caught it on tv or started watching it on cable you would get about five to seven minutes into it and you'd go yeah this is not for me and then you would click over to something else <laughs> All right. Will you remember this film in five years from now? Yeah, I'll remember it. Um, will I think about it? Or what would be the cause that I would ever think about it? I don't know. <laughs> Somebody would have to say, hey, man, did you ever see Wisdom from Emilio Estevez? And I guarantee you right now, I can tell you, I will go through my life and nobody will ask me that question. <laughs> That's never going to come up. No one's going to bump into me and say, hey, remember that 1986 uh, thriller? No, it's not. It's not going to happen. All right. Well, any uh, parting words? Yeah. So uh, I think don't build a movie around a title. Don't have your character. <laughs> don't have your main character make a bunch of ongoing series of really stupid decisions. If his last name is Wisdom, if you're going to throw, uh, you know, Veronica Cartwright and uh, Tom Skerritt into a film, like you might as well find a way to get Sigourney Weaver in there as well, or at least a couple <laughs> of members of Alien, you know? So uh, John Hurt, maybe, I don't know. Like just- Yafit Kodo. It's like, yeah, Yafit Kodo is like, you know- just, He could have played the FBI guy. Actually, he could have played the FBI guy. He would have been a better, actually, he would have been a much better choice for the FBI guy. I like Yafit Kodo quite a bit. Um, 
Uh, oh, oh, and by the the last thing, oh, oh, you know, actually, okay, I will give you a reason to watch this movie. Emilio Estevez is looking for, well, while he's looking for a job, one of the places he ends up is working at a hamburger place. And so he's, you know, flipping burgers, and then the manager comes in, and the manager fires him, and he gets fired because uh, when he was submitting his application, he said that he was not a felon, and of course it's discovered that he is somehow, because I'm sure the, the hamburger place was doing aggressive background checks on all their employees, right? I'm sure I'm that's sure. happening. But his, the manager that fires him is a young Charlie Sheen. And, oh! And if you watch Charlie Sheen, uh, the, so you don't hear what happens. You only see the interaction through the glass window. And boy, is Charlie Sheen going for it from an actor. <laughs> well, I might actually want to watch so, this movie just for that scene. Maybe just, I can find it on YouTube. Well, actually, so you know what? I'll tell you, you know, the, you know, the hardest thing about this movie was actually finding it. I, I, ended it, up, yeah. I ended up streaming it off of Fandango Now. <laughs> that was the service I had to use to find wow. it. Wow. So. I, I think it was playing... Uh, oh, you could get it on Amazon Prime. No, you couldn't. I mean, or Amazon... Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not a Prime video, but um, you could rent it on Amazon. Nope, I tried. I looked. I swear it was there. I looked yesterday. Two ninety nine. It was not there. It wasn't on Hulu. It wasn't on Netflix. Maybe it was like... Epics or something. So yeah, that is that is definitely a reason why you should watch this movie. Is just watch the Charlie Sheen hamburger firing. It is a uh, a fantastic moment of visual exposition delivered by the intensity of Charlie Sheen's uh, by his body movement during the firing. He really wants Emilio Estevez gone. All right, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna find it. Yeah. All right, Dave. Well, we've uh, come to the end of our podcast. Thanks for. For, I don't know. Thanks for just, just thanks doing for just, just just doing the actual detention. Um, although, if you ask me, I think um, I, I think you sort of were looking for some detention. I think you wanted to do this type of assignment. I'm a master. So having yeah, having having done this now, what do you think of it? Not not the movie itself, but what just the whole. Um, the whole process. I think it was kind of fun. Was it, a, was it a good experience? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think it was, uh, you know, because it, it creates a low-stress environment for the follow-on podcast because you're just going to be bullshitting about what's a, probably a bad movie. And I think it was fun. The one thing that we should talk about is, because uh, I think it's fun that actually you're, I think the, the idea that the person who assigns detention has to do the interviewing is actually kind of fun. So I like that. I like that idea. Like the, the fact that you came prepared with questions, I, th- I think that's cool. Well, you're welcome. All right. Well, then let's wrap up. Dave, thank you so much for, uh, for doing the detention assignment. I think our next podcast is going to be a year in review, 1986. Uh, I expect to see wisdom on your list of hidden gems. Um, I wouldn't expect that, no. I need, I need to, uh, I, I might, we need, to, we need to come up with a new category, which is, I don't know, like, Buried turds or something like that. <laughs> Buried turds. That's a good category. <laughs> that might be. I I actually just saw one. It's although I think it's my guilty pleasure. Uh, 1986's Cobra. Isn't that actually a pretty bad movie? Like like really bad. It's pretty like, cheesy. 
the the whole it's pretty like, cheesy like, like when the, the the bad group is getting together and they're like banging sticks or banging metal things together it makes no sense it, they're, they're, yeah they're like clank they're like crossing axes above their heads and clanking them and there's no and it's, there's no genuine motivation for any of those people like what they're actually trying to accomplish right not really the the the, the leader the night slasher sort of uh addresses it at the very end of the movie yeah, the only what I remember about Cobra that I liked. Uh, there's only two things. One is where he uh, uses scissors to cut a piece of pizza, right? I don't know why he does. Yeah, it. yeah, and he just cuts like the end off, and then he eats the, that end, and that's it. That's yeah. his whole meal. Uh, so, so there's maybe he's on a diet. And then the other thing is, I like where he's in the store, and he is, you know, he's he's fighting the criminals in the store, and he's messing with them. And at one point, he just reaches over and cracks a beer and drinks it. I, I thought that. Oh yeah, yeah. I like that. And by the way. Very warm beer. Yeah. I don't know why he's doing that. He could have at least gone to the cold section. <laughs> it's but. a it's a really it's sort of a funny movie. I haven't seen it in forever, um, and yeah, it's cheesy. It wasn't quite as like over the top bad as I remember, but it's really over the top. You know, actually, just to just to wrap it back to wisdom for a second. You know what Emilio Estevez says when things really go sideways and they end up accidentally shooting a sheriff. He says, wow, things really got out of hand, which took me right <laughs> to St. Elmo's Fire. Oh, boy. Remember, that was uh, Rob Lowe's uh, complaint, is that uh, he could get out of hand in college, but he couldn't anymore. So, Oh, right. Oh, boy. Well, it all, it all goes back to St. Elmo's Fire. All right, Dave, I will talk to you on the next podcast. All right, Colin, great talking to you. I had a great podcast. Thank you for an easy detention assignment. All right, next time we'll, we'll go for Howard the Duck. No, fuck that. All right. Okay. Bye, Dave. Bye. We're just talking right now. I'm going to edit this out. This is going to be part of the podcast. (laughs) Oh, what the fuck?